the Holy Spirit chooses the Pope. Have you ever heard this? Well, there's something about it which, I don't know, kind of sounds right, doesn't it? The only problem is it's not actually true. The cardinals choose the Pope. The Holy Spirit guides the church. But the Pope is not a divine oracle whose every word is divinely inspired. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, But Father, it is a divinely revealed truth of the Catholic faith that the Pope is infallible. The First Vatican Council in Pastor Eternus solemnly defined that the infallibility of the Pope is and always has been a part of the Catholic faith. The interesting thing is, though, that the fathers of the Vatican Council wanted to treat the authority of the church more broadly, the authority of the bishops, of priests, the role of lay people in the church. But in 1870, the Franco-Prussian War put an end to all that. The Pope, who had been the temporal ruler of most of central Italy, lost the little he had left and was a prisoner of the Vatican until 1929. That great unfinished theological project and the horror which faithful Catholics all over the world had as they saw how the Pope was treated by the revolutionary powers of Europe meant that a one-sided emphasis on the role of the Pope developed in the church. And the rise of media and faster communications meant that the Pope could communicate with his flock in a way that he could never have dreamed of before. In Northern Europe, Catholics rallied around the spiritual authority of the Pope. They had seen the witness of martyrs who gave their lives for the pact that the Pope is the visible sign of unity in the one true church. They had watched entire countries like England or large swaths of countries like Germany and the Netherlands wrested away from the bosom of Holy Mother Church. So Catholics responded with, you know what? We're going to Catholic even harder, right? And so quite naturally, they looked past the Alps, over the mountains, as it were, to the Pope. This tendency called ultramontanism, looking beyond the mountains, developed an exaggerated sense of the authority of the Pope in a time when all authority and stability seemed under threat. William Ward, a very enthusiastic English convert to Catholicism, even said, I should like a new papal bull every morning with the times at breakfast. Now, the only problem with ultramontanism, as attractive as it was to embattled Catholics in Northern Europe and America, 
was the same problem with the idea that the Pope is God's choice. It is nowhere contained in Scripture or tradition. It is not found in any ecumenical council, not even the document which recognized the Pope's infallibility, nor in any theological textbook, papal encyclical, or church document ever. It was, and is, pious nonsense that nonetheless has profoundly shaped the culture of Catholics who grew up as minorities in Protestant or secular environments. It would be 1964 before the fathers of the Second Vatican Council and Lumen Gentium finished the work of the First Vatican Council by further clarifying the role of the bishops and the laity in the church. The teaching of the Catholic Church on the Pope is this. He personally exercises the infallibility of the whole church when, ex cathedra, from the seat of his authority, he reiterates what has always been contained in the deposit of faith, handed down by Jesus to his apostles and to us on what is divinely revealed on faith and morals. He is not impeccable, incapable of sin, and he's not infallible in the vast majority of what actually is part of his remit. And what is his remit? Well, the same given to him by Christ. Peter, feed my sheep. Confirm the brethren. He is the guardian of the deposit of faith. He's not there to invent new dogmas, but to ensure the adherence of the church everywhere and at every time to divinely revealed truth. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't also do a lot of other things, right? He's a world leader a political figure, a giver and interpreter of laws, a preacher and a teacher. And Catholics must listen to the Pope at all times, but they are not bad Catholics if, after duly informing their conscience with the truth, they respect the office and dissent from those things that are not infallible, that does not break unity. The bishop is also not a branch manager of Catholic Church, Inc. You know, there are many Catholics who, they see the church as kind of this pyramid, right? With the Pope at the top, right? And then you've got the cardinals and the archbishops and then bishops and monsignors and priests and the, the low people, the, the lay people down here on low, Right? But that isn't actually what the church is. It's not a pyramid scheme. But because this is how people think of the church, when problems happen with bishops, they're scandalized that the Pope just doesn't fire them. But the church is not a top-down absolute monarchy. 
It is a communion with a monarchical episcopate in which the Bishop of Rome has universal, but not absolute, jurisdiction. You know, there was a famous debate in the last century between Cardinal Ratzinger and Cardinal Casper, both of whom were extremely intelligent and profound thinkers. And that debate was about what the church really is. Cardinal Casper held that the Catholic Church is a federation of local churches, while Cardinal Ratzinger held that the Catholic Church is the universal church made incarnate in local churches. Now, you may think that this is just an abstruse theological argument among academics, like how many angels can dance on the head of the pin of a needle, right? But how you answer that question is going to condition how you think we are supposed to be the church. The Catholic Church also is a church where discipline and law is there to protect the rights of the faithful and encourage virtue. One of the more distressing phenomena in the church today is that of an ancient heresy revived, antinomianism, which says, well, you know what? We're under grace now, so law doesn't matter. And so what has happened is a new form of clericalism in which clerics feel that they are above the law and just impose their own will on others. Or they manipulate others by guilt-tripping into obedience to their own dictates, by decreeing unjust laws that are inconsistent with Scripture, tradition, right reason, even sometimes just plain common sense. This has produced legal positivism by which clergy have deformed the consciences of faithful Catholics over the years to think that, you know, if they ever doubt that Father is always right, they're disloyal to Christ. They want to disanchor true law and discipline in the church from Scripture and tradition and root it in the individual caprice of clerics. They can then turn around and accuse Catholics who resist this abuse of power of not being good Catholics. As Pope Benedict XVI preached shortly after his election, the power that Christ conferred upon Peter and his successor is a mandate to serve. The power of teaching in the church involves a commitment to the service of obedience, to the faith. The Pope is not an absolute monarch whose thoughts and desires are law. On the contrary, the Pope's ministry is obedience to Christ and to His Word. He must not proclaim his own ideas, but rather constantly bind himself and the church to obedience to God's Word in the face of every attempt to adapt it or water it down, and every form of opportunism. 
The Pope knows that in his important decisions, he is bound to the great community of faith of all times, to the binding interpretations that have developed throughout the church's pilgrimage. Thus, his power is not being above, but at the service of the Word of God. It is incumbent upon him to ensure that this Word continues to be present in its greatness and to resound in its purity, so that it is not torn to pieces by continuous changes in usage. The true Catholic is in communion in heart and mind with the Pope and the bishops as the true successors to Peter and the apostles. You know, we can't be Catholic without this. But the job of the Pope and the bishops is to hand on the deposit of faith. If, when, and where they don't do that, We do nothing wrong by resisting. The history of the church is filled with bad popes and bad decisions of otherwise good popes. We listen, we pray, we form our consciences. Our faith is built on Christ not on any individual pope, priest, or bishop. And we are true to that faith only when we continue to profess the same faith is always held by the church, yesterday, today, and forever.